Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. We're all in process, becoming something. Like a potter throwing clay or an artist mixing color, our lives are being formed. Different backgrounds and experiences blemished and cracked. Each day, an opportunity to move into or out of all that God has purposed. So the question isn't if we are becoming, but rather who are we becoming? And in this family, we want to go on the journey of becoming like Jesus. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Yeah? Kind of migrating or navigating through that kind of cold, drizzly. I feel like so many leaves have fallen in the last week. Our car, I literally had to like, you know, some places you have to scrape your ice off. I had to scrape leaves off the front of my car this morning just to get here. Hey, we have been in a Bible study uh, uh, and we're working through the book of Luke. If you need a Bible, go ahead and throw your hand up. There's um, somebody around the room would love to get you a Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, you're welcome to keep this one. But we've been in a Bible study working through the, the gospel of Luke and we're about to come to like a bit of a tipping point actually uh, in this gospel. Luke has been showing us and painting this story of Jesus and this work that he's been doing in Galilee and he will soon begin his long road trip to Jerusalem. He's going to set his eyes. He's going to focus on that mount and he's on his way to go to the cross. Another way of saying that he's going to be lifted up as king. And our goal in studying Luke's telling of the story of Jesus is to explore those kind of like identities and qualities of Jesus that we've been called to follow, that we've been called to emulate. We, we, the title is to become like Jesus. And our goal is even as we watch Jesus do this ministry and do this work, to look at him and see like, what are the aspects of his life that we've been called to step into, to participate in? The things that he cares about, the, the fights that he wants to have, the ones that we wanna join him in. What, what does it look like for us to, to become like him? To, we've explored so far his identity. Uh, we've talked about devotion and love and practice and faith and adoration. And if you've missed any of those weeks kind of in this series, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to them. Uh, there's some really important and, and amazing conversations that we've been having. Um, also, uh, if you've been following along with us, there's this little card that's got the reading that's going every single week. And it's been really helpful for a lot of people. I'd encourage you to do that. We've been actually, our House of Learning podcast has actually been doing passages that we've had to like kind of skip over along the way as we've done this journey. So if there's like a passage in that reading that you're like, I wish they would have talked about this, it's probably in that House of Learning podcast. I encourage you to go and take a look at that. So today we are going to look at a very famous parable uh, in Luke 8. So it's going to flip there, Luke 8, verses 1 through 15. And we're going to look at this idea of fruitfulness. What does it look like to participate with Jesus in this proclamation of good news as the gospel goes out? It's going to be a good day. So if you would, could you stand up to your feet? I want to read this text out over us. It's kind of been a bit of calisthenics this morning, up and down, up and down. Got to keep the blood moving, right? Here we go. Luke 8, verses 1 through 8 says this. 
After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, and from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you as king. We come to you as the one who made the decision to go to the cross we come to you as the one who would be lifted up on our behalf that we might know you, know your Father, be filled with your Spirit. We come to you to be taught, be our rabbi this morning. Lord, we want to be like you. And so we pray that you would just help us, Lord, to open up our, open up our hands, open up our heart to receive from you today. In fact, if there's things in, in the way, Lord, we just, we lay them down right now. We say those very courageous and bold words, have your way today as we study this text. We love you, Jesus. And all of this is for you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So a few weeks ago, Brittany and I, uh, and Britt's sister, Nicole, uh, we had our neighbors over, uh, and it was a really great, great experience, actually. Uh, we, we'd been trying to get them over for a while. They're kind of, they just moved in not that long ago. And you know, as, as it is, it's just kind of like time, and just, you're going to do it next week, and then suddenly it's next month, and then suddenly it's like six months later or whatever. But finally, we were able to have them over, and it was really pleasant, uh, you know, kind of sitting around the table, get to know their stories a little bit. Uh, but the thing is, is that when you do what we do for a living, there's always that awkward moment in the conversation. You kind of wait for it, right? It's the, so what do you do again for a living? Like, what's your job? Uh, and that's, you know, where I typically break out with the like, well, actually, I follow a first century carpenter turned rabbi who died the most horrific of deaths for my sin, that I might follow him with all that I am and align myself to this ancient Jewish document that feels like it's from another place, another time, another kingdom, and become more and more like him. And there's that awkward silence. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't actually do that, but, but it does feel that way. You know, it's like you step into the, this is what I do for a living conversation. And there's a bit of a sense of like, oh, you're one of those, you know? But you know, interestingly, this conversation didn't go that way, actually. It was, it was actually really, really pleasant. This guy had a genuine curiosity and he, he asked this really great question. 
he, he asked me, why did you pursue that line of work? Like what led you to want to become a pastor in the first point, first place? It was just like an, like an, an open door, like, you know, and so I had this, I, t- I talked about it and I, I said, well, this is what led me to this moment. And, and as I was young and I, these are the things that I saw. And, and, and then he asked this follow-up question. I mean, it was just like, he was teeing me up. He's just like, why do you feel like that matters today? Switch, to which point I got to talk about like how I've seen the gospel like, in, like literally invade into people's lives and into their marriages and, and change them from the inside and bring healing and bring restoration. And the gospel is really, really good news to a hurting generation. Amen. And it was, it was kind of like one of those powerful moments where I was reminded like, this is what we're about, scattering seed just scatters. And what's incredible is that like my, my neighbor didn't freak out. And actually he kind of seemed intrigued. It was a great conversation, but it is the difficulty of the day we live in this cultural moment that we find ourselves in, right? Uh, on the one hand, progressive society, this, this one that we live in, it, it feels like it's grown beyond the quote unquote myths of Christianity. At best, Followers of Jesus are seen as old-fashioned, backwards, maybe out of touch, not understanding the real needs of our modern society. At worst, we're seen as being bigots, intolerant, uh, spreaders of hate, part of a broken past. Now, now some of those accusations are, are the result of our own foolishness, to be honest. But some of it's also the result of really bad publicity. The overall message is this. Uh, on this hand, it's, it's that we're a part of some antiquated, narrow-minded message of some backward kingdom. But the thing is, on the other hand, there's never been a time in history where the message and power of Jesus has been more needed. There, there's never been a time when, when the need for the gospel to come out and change our culture, transform the places that we live has been more needed. We live in a time when people are hungry for meaning and purpose, hungry for it. And the gospel, it brings direction. We live in a time where, and in a city where people are literally plagued by demons. And the gospel, it brings freedom. We live in in a place in neighborhoods filled with fragile, lonely, broken, unhealthy fellow human beings. And the gospel brings healing and life. We live in a society where people are searching for family and we are a part of a King Jesus family. Now, this is is not an antiquated, narrow-minded message of a backward kingdom. This is the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God, and it has come crashing into our city. And that's what we get to be a part of. That is even what this parable is about. One of the reasons why Luke includes this kind of like really cool list up right up front before he jumps into the parable is to point back at that reality. Look, folks, the kingdom heals people. It changes people. Like, in fact, Luke, Luke 8, verses one through three, uh, Jesus is traveling about, he's proclaiming the good news of the gospel, this, this message of the kingdom. 
And, and we see that the fruit of that is found in kind of these two big groupings of people. The first is the 12, right? The 12 are this ragtag group of people who are very different men, who are like tax collectors and fishermen, zealots. I mean, people on the fringes of society. And the gospel redefines these men's lives, centers them on the person and work of Jesus and calls them into something new, something very different. And then there's this group of women who have been cured of evil spirits and diseases. We get introduced to them by name, Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and many other people. And, this, and there's this really awesome shout out to the fact that like this group of women, they literally sustained the work that Jesus was up to in this area, in Galilee, in the season that he was ministering. But the, but the point here is that the gospel invaded this group of people's lives and left them better, left them transformed, left them changed and with purpose. Now, I'm not sure if we have any English teachers in the house or our current students of English, but this little piece of text is what literary people sometimes call foreshadowing. It's pointing forward to this parable that Jesus is about to tell. This is what this looks like. Now, have you ever been reading through the scriptures and you've come to a text and you thought to yourself, man, I just wish somebody would explain this to me. Anybody there? Like, I have, I'm reading this. This does not make sense to me. Well, there's only like five of you. The rest of you are like, well, give, if I could get your numbers, I'd love to reach out because often I'm looking for, no, just kidding. Um, but, but here's the thing, or, or maybe, maybe you've been like reading one of these parables that Jesus has spoken and you're like, Jesus, what on earth's name are you saying here? Right, well, do I have good news for you today? This text is one of those rare occurrences where Jesus literally says, okay, let me tell you what I'm trying to say, okay? So we're actually gonna take a look at that. I mean, Jesus has already done all the heavy lifting. So we're gonna flip forward just a little bit to Luke 8. We're gonna look, we're gonna start reading at verse nine. And it says this, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. So this is a bit of an aside. Jesus is taking us on an aside before he jumps into the parable. And actually so much of this points forward to even the why behind the parable. And Jesus I just love how Luke sets this up. Jesus gets up and says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And you could almost picture the disciples' hands kind of going up in the back row, like, um, Jesus, we don't get it. What are, you, what are you trying to say? And I love how Luke brings us as readers into the story. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you understand what it is that Jesus is trying to say. And so before jumping in, Jesus explains the purpose of parables. So if you've ever been wondering, what's the purpose of a parable? Jesus tells us. Those who hear this story are, are those that are like around him that are, being, that are learning from Jesus, that are a part of his core community. They get like the insider knowledge, so to speak. But for the rest, the knowledge is told in parables precisely so that they won't understand. Now let that sink in for a second. Jesus is saying he teaches in parables precisely so that the masses won't understand. He wants 
to make his listeners fight for understanding. And actually, if you think about it, it's kind of a genius way of teaching. He's separating those who really want the understanding from those who just want to show up for the show. You see, God's word, when it's lived out, it has like this clarity and attractiveness to it that draws people in. That's why it's called good news. But there, and, and there's power in God's message of purpose and reconciliation. But as we, can, as we continue to listen to Jesus, his message always requires something of us. It always requires us to enter in. It is never enough to simply consume the information We must want it enough to dig a little deeper, to let the information simmer in our minds and in our hearts. And that is the amazing power of stories. That deeper meeting, it sits kind of in the back of our minds. And as listeners, we get to dig in. Think about like uh, Christmas time. Anybody here have like, this is really old school, but anybody have like like those bowls of nuts, right? Right, and they're all shelled. And you've got like the nutcracker that's in that. You got, is it just me? I mean, I grew up in that place. Okay. And, and have, have you ever come to the thing of nuts and you're like, there's no nutcracker, right? And so you get to like the walnut or the almonds. I mean, they're like impossible, right? So you're like sitting there. I don't know if you've ever done that. You just like put them between your palms and you're like trying to crack them open. You have to work at getting to the meat of the almond. And that's what's going on. Jesus is saying like, look, I'm not gonna crack this nut for you. You need to press in. You gotta do a little digging. You You gotta go a little deeper. If you want the mysteries, you have to press in. And the power of stories, especially the stories that Jesus told, is that they force people to chew on the information, to be confronted by their own lack of belief, to push through and and try to really see, to, to really hear. But we get the insider scoop. Verse 11 says this. The meaning, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So right out of the gate, Jesus clarifies for us that that seed, this, this, this farmer's going around and just scattering, it's the word of God. And, and Luke really wants us to draw a line, a direct line back to verse one. When we talk about the word of God, we are talking about the gospel of the kingdom of God. Okay, now for us, sometimes we hear that phrase word of God and we think the Bible, but remember the Bible wasn't written yet, right? So in this reference point, he's pointing back to this powerful message, this gospel message that Jesus was declaring out the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that God had drawn near to humanity and he was making a way for humankind to know him and be loved by him and to experience his rule in fullness. And the subsequent soils, they represent the conditions and the circumstances of the human heart and experience. So the farmer goes out and he begins to scatter the seed and it falls amongst these various types of soil. Verse 12, those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So this first first place that the seed falls is the actual path that this farmer's walking on. And it's hard packed. The soil there has been beaten down and beaten down and beaten down. And so it's difficult to see, just wants to sit on top of it. 
And we are asked as readers to consider the soil on the path as a picture of the world that we live in. And, and it really works, doesn't it? And we think about the, the culture and the world that we live in, a culture where really in many ways the ground has been beaten down. And it is difficult for seeds to, to find root, to gain root. But it's not just the difficulty of the seed finding root. The problem is, is when the seed sits on top of that hard ground, the birds come and just pick it off, right? That's the parable. I don't know if you guys have ever had any experience with this. I am not much of a gardener in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I think I've shared this before. If you want something to be killed in your garden, please look me up. I can help you with that. Um, but I remember a number of years back, we had this kind of low spot in our back, of, in our back garden. Uh, and, the, you know, as it does with all the rain here, the, the water settling in there killed all the grass. So I had to put some more soil down and I planted seeds and I did all of the things. I looked it up on YouTube, which never lies. And I did it exactly as I was supposed to. I planted the seeds. I got like really good seeds that was gonna match all of the grass. And that was the end of the day. I woke up the next morning and I went and I was looking out my back window, our back window where our sink was, looked out over the, over the garden. And there was probably a hundred birds a hundred, I mean, there were parts of the backyard that I couldn't even see the ground. There were so many birds on the ground. And you know what they were doing? They were eating all of my seed. And I went out there and chased them off, but they all came back again. But here, this is part of the imagery that is being shown to us. Jesus is describing to us this place, this, this back garden, this, this hard space. And the problem is, is that the seeds can't get root. And when that happens, the enemy of our soul takes the seed away. People of this soil, they, they do hear the word of God, but, but because they don't have the space, because there isn't the time, because there isn't the circumstances to allow that seed to catch root, the enemy just comes and snatches it. As an aside, this is a part of the reason why we do Alpha around here. The little plug for a ministry that we love so much. Alpha is a beautiful place to do listening. It allows people to come and sit and contemplate and think. And, and in essence, it allows space for a seed to start to get some roots. Here's the thing. Every time the gospel is preached, there is a cosmic battle. I want to say this again. I want... I want you to catch this. Every time the gospel goes out, there is a cosmic battle. The enemy knows that this is the good news. This is the thing that will change everything. And so the moment that seed hits the ground, it's war. And that's the reality that we live in. That is the reality that we participate in, whether we are that soil, that tough, hard soil where it's been really, really difficult, or whether it's our friend or our family member. The question there is, how do we create the kind of space, the kind of spaces and communities that allow that seed to take root? But that's not the only soil. Verse 13 those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. 
This next group of people, they, they do receive the word and, and there's even a moment of joy, maybe because of the circumstances in their life. Maybe there's just a hunger for the relationship of the community or maybe they interact and Jesus just becomes that person for them that they need him to be. And there's joy in that moment, but there's no depth. The soil is penetrable, but it's so shallow that the roots don't have anything to hold on to. The missing element for this people is real depth. It's interesting to think about the ramifications of this. Again, I'm, not, I'm no gardener, but, but I do know that there's as much danger in overwatering as there is in underwatering. And a part of the reason why the roots suddenly take place or suddenly take root in the shallow soil is that the rocks allow some moisture to stay there. And the roots, they hit that moisture and they grow quick, but there's only a little bit of moisture and so it goes dry. And the moment there's a storm or the moment there's an animal or the moment there's anything, that, those, that root system gets ripped out very easily. Some of the best grapes in the world are those that actually are grown with a water limitation on them. They call it dry farming. Again, I sound like I know what I'm talking about, but this all came from Google. Um, it's called dry farming. And here's the thing is like when the seed hits the ground in these climates, it has to go down deep. It has to go and find water. And, and the, the beautiful fruit, the beautiful outcome of that is that as it's pulling in those nutrients, it creates some of the most delicious grapes on the planet. Now there's not a lot of them and they're not super big, but they're delicious. And that's a part of the nature in this picture that we see is that because the roots are shallow, they grow quick and then they don't stand. The implications for us that as we move past kind of those warm fuzzies of Jesus in the early days, are we willing to pursue the depth that it takes to last? In the words of the Apostle Paul, are we willing to move beyond the milk and to head into the real meat of our faith? People of this soil hear the word and grow some roots, but the roots are so, so shallow that when the testing comes, and friends, the testing always comes. It always comes. They fall away. The challenge for us here is to examine our own faith or examine our own life to see, do we have that kind of desire to kind of push those rocks away and allow those roots to go a little deeper, to dig into the deeper things of faith? Or for those around us, are we willing to be patient, to walk with them through the journey of helping them pull out those rocks to create real depth? Will we stand when the drought comes? Verse 14, the next type of soil, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. The next group of people find themselves in a place where growth can actually happen. But the problem here is that there's so many other things growing that their fruit, their plants get choked out by all of the competition. Okay. When we first moved back from Glasgow, we moved into this house and it had like these giant above ground beds. 
Again, as I've already said about 17 times, I'm not a gardener. But in that moment, I was like, I want to grow some stuff. We've got the beds, they're vegetable beds. I'm going to do it. I'm going out there. So really what I did is I said, what are the things I like to eat? And so I was like, strawberries, I mean, carrots, peppers, cucumbers, green beans. And because my wife likes zucchinis, zucchinis, okay? Now that was it. That was, I was just going to grow those things. It was a pretty good sized bed, probably the, si- I mean, the size of like this, two of these little panels here. And it was, it, I planted it all up. I did all the right things. I made the rows for the carrots. I, I put everything in. And then I was actually going to do like two zucchini plants because they were pretty small. But then I, I was like, no, nah, I'll put a third one in. Now, so you all laugh because you all understand. See, I didn't understand. I was like, zucchini plants, I mean, who needs them, right? Well, as you guys know, the zucchini plant is like the predator of the plant kingdom. I mean, the thing is like, it just takes over, right? I mean, these three little plants took over the entire garden. It was like a prehistoric garden bed. The leaves were like so big. And if you walk by it, they rustled a little bit. I thought they were going to come after me. Right? I should have been alarmed when the strawberries tried to make a break for it. They were sending out their shoots like, gotta get out of the garden, you know? I mean, it was absolutely ludicrous how these plants took over everything. I mean, it's it amazing. The, the peppers, they didn't even grow. They didn't even come up. In fact, it was wild. It was like a year later, they decided to grow. They're like, there's no zucchinis. I'm growing this year, you know? The cucumbers got consumed by their cousins and I think that we ended up with actually a few carrots, but they were all like mished together because the, these zucchini plants took over everything. It was kind of frightening. Here's the thing. This group, they hear the gospel. They hear the message of the good news of the kingdom. And they do put down some roots and they may even actually start to grow some, but the problem is, is that they can't produce fruit. And here, here's the catch. Here's the thing about this parable. We think it's about soils, but in the end, it's actually about fruitfulness. And, and, and these, these roots try to go down and they try, the plant tries to bear fruit, but it's competing with so many other things. And there are three very real zucchini plants in this garden. The first one are worries. I mean, tell me you don't feel this a little bit. The anxiety, the things that keep you up at night, the things that are spinning in the back of your mind, occupying very precious real estate to your spiritual faith. And what do they do? They strangle fruitfulness in your life. You wake up thinking about things. You wake up consumed by them instead of bringing them to Jesus. And they consume the fruitfulness in your life. The second one, riches. And what, what kind of things are competing for your heart? Remember, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the thing about the wealth of the West that we have is that it's like having another giant zucchini plant in our garden, just consuming all of the nutrients. I often wonder if that's the reason why Jesus says it's so hard for rich people to enter into the kingdom is because the wealth just consumes everything in us. We become preoccupied, but what we have or what we do not have, and it's impossible for us to hear, 
to hear God's voice in the midst of it. The last zucchini plant is that of pleasure. And we live in a city where this is like keenly at the forefront of our problem. What, what is competing for our affection? That place of, of in our heart. Such a struggle for our Western society. We're obsessed with our distractions. We're obsessed with our entertainment. We've turned sexuality into our identity. We've turned our entertainment into our rights. And slowly, those things begin to consume us and strangle us. The end state is is that the real issue with this group is that they do not mature. They do not do the thing that they were created to do, which is to produce fruit. And that is the assumed goal of these plants. Luke 8, verses 15 says this. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So finally, we get kind of that right mix of heart and situation, and we're presented with the kind of space where a single seed can produce a hundred Other versions of the story say that like the seed goes on to produce 30 to 60 to 100 times the the fold, the 100 times the amount of fruit. So what is it with this soil that's so different? Well, first, we're told that they're noble and good. I tell you what, I had to do a lot of research on this to kind of get my mind around what what did Jesus mean by being noble? As far as I could see, and as far as kind of the theologians, they talked about it being like an openness of heart. Like nobility was the ability to step into an environment and say, you're king, I'll do what you want. Nobility is defined by sitting underneath the authority of a king. The noble and good come and say, Lord, we want you to have your way. God's word stands over them and not the other way around. Second, we're told that they hear and retain. They don't just let it go in one ear and out the other ear. They meditate on God's word. They they let it sink on the inside. They, They listen to these parables and they chew on them and they try to get every last ounce of nutrient out of them. They want to seek the deeper meetings and the deeper agendas of the kingdom of God. And then third, we're told that this group perseveres. They have stick-to-itiveness. They know that, that, the purpose, that their purpose is to mature. And they make it their goal to mature, to grow, to bear fruit. They don't allow themselves to be distracted. They don't allow themselves to be choked. Now, this passage is often used for like, things like evangelism, Uh, which is great. And it's certainly, I I think as you read this text, there is definitely a sense of like that general, generous, like scattering of the seed gives a picture of an evangelist. But the parable is actually more about the purpose of the seed and the circumstances that bring a single grain to multiply it to a hundred than it is about anything else. 
Jesus is saying that the gospel of the kingdom has the potential to transform the world we live in because it has the potential of taking one seed and turning it into a hundred. It's possible to give your life to this kingdom, says Jesus, and invest your life in my work, my way, my authority, and see the world that you live in utterly transformed, just like those group of people, just like the disciples, just like that group of women. The kingdom bears fruit, but this is the haunting reality of the parable of the sower. The haunting reality is that fruitfulness is not guaranteed. We have to examine our own heart. We have got to do the hard work and examine the nature of the soil within us and even with those around us that we love and are, are a part of community with. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna call the band to come back on up, but this is the place that I'd like to land. And so I don't know if you've got like a journal or something like that. I wanna give just a moment and I wanna ask two kind of really big questions that I wanna give you a little bit of space to do exactly what parables are supposed to get us to do, to chew on it just a little bit. The first question is this, which soil represents your reality? Which soil represents your reality? You want to do notes on your phone or place to write this down? Are you the path? Have you experienced so much kind of, of that beaten downness that it's just, it's so difficult for, for the seeds. Every time you hear something about the word, about the kingdom, it just feels like it bounces off of you. Or maybe you find yourself in that situation where it's like every time you try to even invest a little bit of energy in, in what God might be calling you to, the enemy just rips it away. Or are you like the rocky soil? Maybe you have a moment in your history, a time when you can recall that like Jesus did something and awoke something inside of you, but it didn't last. And even here now this morning, you're, you're here because of repetition, because this is the thing you're supposed to do, but it has been a long time since you have experienced the joy of the kingdom. Are you that rocky soil? Have the roots only gone just a little below and is God maybe calling you to clear some of those rocks away to create space for those roots to go a little deeper? Or are you the soil that's, that's been planted by the zucchinis? I'm, I'm sorry if you like zucchinis and this metaphor probably really breaks down. But are you that place? And you've allowed one or two or three of these things into that garden of your soul. And frankly, it is suffocating out every ounce of kingdom life that you've got. You would call yourself a follower of Jesus. You want to become like Jesus, but there's so many compare, competing narratives that you don't know how to give yourself space to become like Jesus. What would it look like to do a little bit of weeding, a little bit of weeding, 
a little bit of gardening, to rip up some of that competition, to pull out some of those roots that are competing for the nutrients of the kingdom, what would it look like for you to create space for growth? Last though, maybe you are in a place of fruitfulness. And you actually look at what God's been doing in your life and you've seen growth this last year or this last handful of years like you've never seen before and there is fruit coming out of your life. Here's the encouragement that I wanna make. How can the fruitfulness of your life become the fruitfulness of another's? What, what person around you is Jesus maybe encouraging, like throw an arm around this person, help them to do a little bit of weeding, help them to, to clear out some of those rocks, help them to understand what it looks like to have a fruitful garden. What does it look like to be basically like Jesus to somebody else? I wanna invite you to stand up to your feet. Second question that I want to ask is one that I kind of want to leave you guys with thinking about. Sometimes it can be really overwhelming to think about what does it take to get from point A to point like G. But I want to ask you the question, what does it look like to just go from point A to point B? What, what's one step right now in your life that you could take that would put you a step closer to fruitfulness. Don't get overwhelmed by all of the stuff. Just one thing. Go ahead and just bow your, bow your head. Lord Jesus, I just pray for my friends. Would you right now, Lord, do a work show them the one thing, the one step, the one little adjustment that they could make that would take them towards fruitfulness. Lord Jesus, you've given us your Holy Spirit to help us in the process of becoming. So we invite you now, help us, Lord, to become more like you. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.